0: I will be reading from Romans, chapter 3, verses 20 through 28. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law.
1: Deborah and I have this thing about fish trap Washington. And that's about all I'm going to tell you. I'm not going to try to explain it to you. It's sort of an inside joke between the two of us. It's only funny to the two of us, Um, and it doesn't really matter. Just uh, suffice it to say that at a certain point, uh, especially when we were living in Seattle and we would sometimes make the trip to visit Spokane. You know, you drive by, fish trap, and you're getting pretty close to Spokane, and it just sticks out in our heads. And, and oftentimes if one or the other of us is making that trip, you know, sometimes there will be a text uh, that will be about fish traps. So, you know, we kind of know where, where we are. Like I say, it's really funny to us. Uh, but <laughs> this one day a few years ago, uh, none of us had anything to do, any place that we needed to be, and Deborah, out of the blue, said, "Let's go to Fish Trap. We've never actually gone to Fish Trap. Let's go see what's there. Like, what is there?" And none of us knew. So we got into the car. We we just spontaneously jumped into the car and drove to Fish Trap. There's not much there. <laughs> Uh, it seems like a lot of what's there are some, some campgrounds, uh, I think there's a lake, there might be some fishing, but whenever we went, it was kind of the off-season, because I remember it, stuff was closed, you know, there were like gates to, to roads were closed, and, and there wasn't much going on, and so we were just driving and tooling around, and ended up on a road somewhere, I, I'm not sure I could find it, even if I wanted to at this point, somewhere I think between Fish Trap and Sprague. And we realized that we'd stumbled on an old, abandoned, decommissioned missile site. Now, I don't know if you all know this, kids. uh, We used to have a whole bunch of nuclear intercontinental missiles buried in the ground around here. It was fun times. It was really, it was a hoot. Um, (laughs) Those have since been taken away. And I don't remember, I think there must have been a sign or, or something because I'm not sure that, that any of us would have just noticed this, you know, without something kind of to tell us where we are, but we realized this was an old, and, and we looked it up later on, found out it was an Atlas uh, missile site, these great big intercontinental ballistic missiles. And it was one of these sites, they've since been decommissioned, the missiles aren't there anymore, um, and, and the sites are being used for various purposes, but we i i got all excited and i pulled over and i said let's let's go look at this thing i mean look you can see the and we got out of the car and we we kind of walked and there's this this long cement this concrete ramp that goes down to underground you know with these massive steel doors that are down there and and i i just there i looked around and we were like wow this is so neat isn't this neat lauren in particular didn't think it was so neat she had this sense that are we supposed to be here? I'm not sure we're supposed to be here. And, and she started getting a little nervous, like, should we leave? And finally, we sort of decided, yeah, we, maybe we probably should leave. I mean, strictly speaking, we're not sure if we're supposed to be here. And as we walked back to our car, there was this other building that was sort of separated from the, the missile installation itself. There was this steel building, and there were some windows in it, And through one of the windows, I saw out of the corner of my eye somebody pull their curtain aside and look at me. And that's when it really hit me. (laughs) Like, oh no. Then I remembered some of the stories that I'd heard about these decommissioned missile bases. Many of them have been sold to private individuals. People are using them. Some people have turned them. You look this up online. Some people have done some really incredible jobs and turned them into these crazy homes underground. Some of them have been bought just by farmers, especially in a region like ours, and they use them for those great big steel doors down there. They use them for their equipment. It's a great place. It's like an extra garage that they can put farming equipment into. But whatever, somebody was there, and we were in their yard. Now, if I looked out my window, and somebody was just wandering around and exploring my yard, I would think that was sort of rude. And I became that guy. I was in somebody's yard on somebody's property, and I felt so horrified, and uh, maybe I should have gone and knocked on a door and said, I'm really sorry, but, you know, we, we really just... Got quickly into the, the, <laughs> the car and spun out gravel and, you know, <laughs> got out of there. <laughs> we were trespassing. I didn't really mean to trespass, but we were. We were trespassing. As you grab your Bibles this morning, we continue to study Jesus and his uh, life and his ministry on earth. We've really focused mostly on this three-year period of his ministry between his ages of about 30 and 33 up to that point, we don't know a whole lot. There's not a whole lot said about his birth. There's almost nothing said about those first 30 years of his life. The Bible focuses on those three years, and that's what we've been looking at. But in, in Mark, I want you to go to Mark today. We've been using a variety of the Gospels. Today we're going to be in Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 1. So Mark, chapter 7, right at the beginning of the chapter, says this, the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus, and you know, we could stop right there for a second, there's, Jesus' popularity has been increasing, We've, we've looked at many of these signs, these wonders, these miracles that he has performed, there's a lot of talk And so now, some of these Pharisees, and and I've I've mentioned before that up to this point, the bulk of Jesus' ministry has been up in the north in the region of Galilee. It's not that he's never been in the southern region of Judea, where Jerusalem is, the capital, but he spent most of his time up north. It's been a little bit more rural in nature, you know, and it's been very public, but he's been kind of removed from the nation's leaders. Well, now some of these leaders, we say, have come from Jerusalem. They kind of want to see what's going on with this guy that they keep hearing about way down in Jerusalem, right? So they've come up from Jerusalem, and they've gathered around Jesus, and they saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Now, when I first read this, my initial thought is gross. You should wash your hands, but don't we teach our kids that? It's time for dinner, kids. Go wash your hands. Did you wash your hands? Did you wash your hands with soap? Did you wash your hands with warm water? You know, I mean, I do sort of subscribe to this idea that washing your hands before eating is probably good. That's not quite what they're talking about here. What they're talking about is, is more of a ritual washing. It's a, a ritual purification. I'm not saying that it had no actual cleansing benefits, but it was a little bit different than, than me when I used to tell my kids, go wash up before we eat, you know, because you're filthy. It was this sense of, of a ritual purification. You can still see in, in Orthodox Jewish places, if you go into a, a, a restroom, oftentimes you'll see a, Uh, like a silver kind of looks like a a pitcher kind of a jar that's made from uh, you know not silver silver but you know silver in color uh, so that you can dip out measures of water and, and wash your hands with this it's kind of a ritualistic thing and they notice that Jesus's followers his disciples they're eating food with these hands that are unwashed And verse 3 tells us in in parentheses, Mark has sort of interjected this because he he recognizes many of his readers maybe aren't Jewish. Mark seems to have have had an audience in mind as he writes his account, his gospel, and that audience seems to be kind of a Roman mindset. Many have suggested even the, the very, very high population of Roman slaves that would have lived in the Roman Empire... So people of action, people of business, but maybe not, you know, Jewish people who would have understood all this stuff. And so Mark interjects here, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. You know, again, I I know what you're thinking. I mean, well, yeah, we wash our dishes too. But this is is sort of a special ritual washing. And they did this. And Mark explains, yeah, they had this. You notice he mentions there that when they come from the marketplace. Why would he mention that specifically? Because you know what's at the marketplace? Gentiles. You people. You're all unclean to, you know, a real Orthodox Jew. You've come into, you go to the, the, the marketplace, the agora in this Greek culture that had been handed down, and you're just bumping into all sorts of Gentiles. They're all unclean, and you've probably been around uh, uh, meat, you know, that's maybe been laid out, or who knows what. Maybe people have had diseases. Maybe, I mean, you come back from just being around all of these people and you're unclean and so heaven forbid before you eat you have to do this ritual washing you take out sort of a measure of water in your hand and pour it over the other hand and then use the other hand to take out a measure and pour it over the the first hand and you know, you do this to ritually cleanse yourself because you were unclean and so the pharisees again in verse 5 The Pharisees and the teachers of the law ask Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Now, in order to understand what Jesus' answer is going to be, I think it might be helpful if we look at the passage to which they're referring, right? These rules on hand washing. And I... I feel badly. I, I left my, my notes on my, my desk, and so I'm hoping I can remember here um, exactly. Well, that's right. They're not in here. Okay, you need to understand that. They're not here. The closest you can get are rules that are very specifically for priests doing priestly duties, and if you've seen a map of of the tabernacle and then later the temple, they had these lavers, these wash basins. That's precisely what they were for, and the Mosaic law says, okay, priests, before you enter the tabernacle or before you later on enter the temple or before you even approach the altar that's out front, for uh, offering these sacrifices, you need to cleanse this way. That's in there. But this business about all of the Jews, making sure that they do this when they've come back from the marketplace, it's not there. Does Jesus know it's not there? Yes. (laughs) So this is going to help inform uh, our understanding, I think, of his answer. And Mark... Honestly, has already given us a clue here, but let's just read on. So, the Pharisees have asked Jesus this question, and he replied, Yeah, whoa, (laughs) Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. (laughs) Uh oh, (laughs) do they like this already? They don't like this answer one little bit. Uh, Just by way of reminder, who is Isaiah to the Jewish people? I mean, he's arguably their greatest prophet. I mean, Isaiah is just, I mean, he's Isaiah. I mean, come on. They liked all the prophets, but of all of them, I mean, Isaiah is just the best. And here's Jesus saying, you really are the hypocrites that your favorite prophet was writing about. You understand that? (laughs) Already their hackles are going up. And then he quotes, of course, Isaiah. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their mouths pay me tribute. Maybe they sing the songs, they say the the prescribed stuff. You know what? Their hearts aren't close. They worship me in vain. And look, look at what he says here. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. Now, he really says two things there. You've let go of the commands of God, and we'll, we'll pick that up again in just a second. But that second thing, you're holding on to human traditions. This is where I, I want you to understand that these rules about the washing after coming from the marketplace, they're not in the Mosaic law. They're not there. Now, we don't know precisely where they got added, but what we do know is that if the Mosaic law is like this, the stuff that is written about the Mosaic Law is kind of like this, you know. And there was this, there there were all of these oral traditions and verbal stuff, but then ultimately it got written down and you have these things uh, called the the Talmud, for instance. And it's these huge, massive commentaries on what all of this stuff means. And somewhere along the line, people had, had said, these Pharisees had said, the teachers of the law, the rabbis, they had all said, You know how it's good for the priest to wash up? That's that's good for everyone. We should all do that. Everyone should do that. Now, that in and of itself maybe isn't a horrible thing. I mean, I've suggested before, we ought to be real careful in our day when we read the books of the Bible that are known as the pastoral epistles, which is to say they're written to pastors, If we're not careful, the vast majority of you might be able to say, well, I'm not a pastor, so I can skip this one. Well, I'm not sure that you should do that. That the very specific rules in the pastoral epistles that have to do with the qualifications of elders of the church. You know, you don't just say, well, I'm not an elder, so I'm not going to worry about that. I mean, I would tell you that even if you're not an elder, those are things that all believers ought to, you know, aspire to, shouldn't we? I mean, they're good things. And maybe they had a similar view here. You know, the law itself says that, that the priests need to, uh, to wash up before they go into the temple, but let's make some other rules that say, but Jesus points out they're just human traditions. I mean, that's ultimately what they are. They're human traditions. You made them up. And he doesn't necessarily say that they're horrible, but he does point out these are human traditions that you're holding on to. But then there's that other thing that he says that is maybe even more grave, isn't it? You've let go of the commands of God. So you're holding on to these traditions. That are just yours. You made them up. But you've let go of the actual commands that God has given you. And then he continues. He gives them an an example. You have a fine way. (laughs) I love that phrase. Some of you might even have. You have a nice way. You have a real fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions now he even goes so far as to say so that you can better sort of uh, hold on to these traditions that you've made you've gone so far as to let go of god's commands so you can do it you know more easily more readily and he says for instance moses said honor your father and mother you know that one you know that one right Come on, kids, roll your eyes and say, yes, we know. Honor your father and mother. And also, anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. That was heavy. That was serious. Verse 11 says, But you say that if anyone declares what uh, what might have been used to help their father or mother is korban that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. This word korban is, is it's an interesting word. But scholars think that earlier on, that it's, its definition and usage may have kind of migrated a little. That earlier on, it had this idea of an offering. There that, that was a vow that if, if I declared something korban, what that meant was I vow, I'm going to take this to the temple, give it to the priests, It's it's actually being given to God. But that later on, that word kind of changed and its usage changed so that what it really meant was something more along the lines of it's protected from something else. So that to declare something korban, it it meant I was saying, hey, this is for God, but it didn't necessarily mean that I was actually going to take this and give it to God. It just meant you can't have it. It was sort of a means of saying, you can't put your grubby paws on it. And it suggested that you had people here, and sometimes we don't, you know, think about it. We, we think of these Pharisees, these teachers of the law, these religious leaders as, as being poverty stricken. You know, they're very pious and they don't really have much. The reality is a lot of them were really wealthy. Some of them had parents who maybe even, you know, especially in their culture, their culture worked a little bit differently where a parent could, in essence, even go to court and lay claim to some of that wealth and say, I I need help. You're supposed to be helping me. And now they could say, oh, no, 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 I've declared that Corban, you know, it's for God, right? He says, Moses told you to honor your father and mother, You've even got this tradition that says, well, if you declare this Corbett. Now, this is, well, (laughs) let's read on the next verse. Because he says, thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down. And then he says at the end, and you do many things like that. So there are all sorts of things. Why does he choose this one thing? I want to be careful. I don't know. It doesn't say but I suspect there was at least one person who was engaged in this very thing. Don't you think so? Jesus says, Let me, let's just talk about what you're doing here. You want to talk about the law versus human traditions? Here's what the law says. You've created the, a human tradition that basically gives you a loophole so that you don't have to obey the law. What God's command says is honor your father and mother. You've now created this thing that says, well, except, you know, if you declare your stuff Corban, right? Then you have an out. And it seems like this was relatively common practice, and it probably was the practice of at least one person who was right there in their hearing. Jesus says, really? You want to talk about this? You've now set aside the law of Moses that God gave to him because of this tradition of of yours. And like I say, he ends with this phrase, you do many things like that. You do a lot of things like that. He goes on and teaches a little bit more. Jesus called the crowd to him and he said, listen to me, everyone, understand this. Nothing outside of a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. And after he had left the crowd and entered the house, the disciples asked him about this parable. He said, are you so dull? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? It doesn't go into their heart, but it goes into their stomach, and then it goes out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Which is an interesting statement for Mark to make. And it it could be that we've translated the Greek, you know, slightly, you know, we've, we've sort of picked up the wrong nuance there. But for Mark to say that, because the Mosaic Law clearly did teach, I mean, it had taught up to that point, that there were certain foods that were considered unclean. And yet here's Jesus saying, Look, nothing going into you is gonna defile you. Now is Jesus saying that all of that stuff about clean and unclean food that's in the Mosaic Law that it was all dumb? No, he's not saying that. I mean, he's God. He gave it to them, right? He has a reason for it. But what he's pointing out was, I may not have told you that because I'm worried that what goes into your body is going to defile you. You understand? It just goes into your stomach, you digest it, it's gone doesn't go into your heart. That's where your defilement is, right? He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it's from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. I love lists of sins like this. I think I've mentioned it before in other other places. You know, you read a sin like this and you, you get to sexual immorality and theft and murder. Like, yeah, you tell them, Jesus. You know, these horrible criminals, right, that are committing murder and involved in sexual immorality. You know, the stuff that I don't do. Then I get down to things like greed or envy or just folly, right? Oh. <laughs> Oops. He's got this whole list here and he says you think any of that stuff is because you ate something it's not has nothing to do with what you ate it came right out of your dark heart isn't it jesus scolds them a little he gets after them a little and he uses this opportunity as experts in the law come to him and they say whoa your guys are doing it wrong why do they do that don't you know that before you sit and break bread you're supposed to have washed your hands ritually doesn't seem like your guys do that can you explain that why don't you do that and jesus says let me tell you something that's just a man-made tradition And let me tell you something else. You've neglected God's commands. And let me push that just a little bit farther. You even use some of your man-made traditions in order to skirt God's commands. Shame on you. And he gets after them a little bit. Now, I told you about all of the writing on the law You've got the Mosaic Law, and then you've got all of this writing about it, and this expounding. And I've suggested before, in large part, these were good questions that they were asking. You know, the great example is, thou shalt not do any work on the Sabbath. But then the question arose, yeah, but what's work? I mean, what does that exactly mean? Like, how much could I do? How much labor or energy can I expend before I've broken the law? And so they were answering those questions. In other words, so many of these questions came from, at least initially, a really strong desire to follow the law. Do you see how they were doing that? In other words, I don't think anyone ever set out to say, let's see if we can stop following God's law and instead make a bunch of human tradition, let's try to do that today. Oh, yeah, okay, let's try and do that. I mean, does it seem like anybody said that? Just sort of like I didn't wake up on a certain morning and say, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to trespass in somebody's yard. I didn't do that. But all of a sudden, there I was. I was there. I was in the act of trespassing, you know. And here they were. And I'm not sure that there was this cabal of shadowy individuals that got together in a dark, smoky room that said, what can we do, cackling maliciously? You know, what can we do to really, you know... I I think in large part it probably started as an honest desire to try to, to follow God's law, but over time... They'd migrated to this position where there were just all of these human traditions. And Jesus calls them on the carpet and says, what on earth are you talking about? That thing that you're talking about, that thing that you're looking down your nose at all of us, wondering why we haven't done this ritual cleansing, that's not even been commanded by God. It's your thing. Meanwhile, there are some things that have been commanded by God and you're not doing them. And these teachers of the law might have said, oh, well, yeah, 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 but see, there's this allowance, and you don't understand, and oh, Jesus understand perfectly, didn't he? And while they may not have started there, they have ended up in a place where they are trespassing in places that they don't belong. And as is always the case especially when we look at a passage that is sort of about a historical group of people that's kind of removed from us. It's easy to tisk tisk them, to shake our fingers and say, yeah, Jesus, you, you let them have it. But are there times where you and I, accidentally maybe, it's not like we ever get up and say, I'm going to just fly in the face of God and of his commands and do my own thing. Maybe we don't do that. Maybe we've got the best of intentions. But then we end up with all of these traditions, these things that they're not here. I, oh, I hesitate. I, you know, I don't want to step on your toes too hard and make you feel bad. But first of all, it's us. I mean, I'm in this boat too. I mean, I catch myself doing it too. But I've so frequently heard things from my God's holy book brutally twisted and horribly mistaught to suit our human traditions. You know how filthy that is? Do you know how angry that makes me? You know how humbled I am when I realize I'm the one that's done it? Don't make this say things that it doesn't say to suit your, uh, your politics, your relationships. Stop doing it. God is going to have some harsh judgment for those that play fast and loose with this. You stop it. And we'll just leave that there.
0: <laughs>
1: but listen, are there areas in your life? You know, it's so, we've talked about this many times. It's so easy to look at the person next to you and say, boy, I hope they're getting this. This <laughs> is really good stuff for him or for her, you know. <laughs> Maybe you ride home in the car together. You heard that, right? But what's in your life? What do you have when you've allowed things? And I'm going to say this again. I've said it so many times. They're not always bad things. But when we allow them to dilute, to water down our relationship with Jesus Christ our Lord, our following of him, our obedience to him, our obedience to this book, when we allow that to be watered down by this other stuff, the stuff has got to go or it's at least got to get out of my faith. My faith ought to inform everything I do But if we're not careful, what happens is I start to inform some of the other things I do, some human stuff to inform my faith. And just like they got into some really severe trouble, we get into some really severe trouble when we allow that to happen. And I want to challenge you to think about what that is to you. What is it for you that you've allowed to creep into your walk? Where do we get it wrong sometimes? Because we've allowed some other sensibilities of ours, which are sort of human tradition, you know, to sneak in and to inform our faith and to inform our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. What is it for you? If you pray with an open heart for God to teach you what that is, he will. Be careful, right? Some of you don't want to know. Hmm. You're afraid to know. I get it. have been right there. I walk with you. But if you really desire to know, you go to the Lord in your life and say, what is it in me, God? For these people, maybe it was this Corban business or this hand-washing business. What is it for me? What's my thing? What have I let creep in to my faith, my, my, my devoted following of you? How is that being diluted by other stuff in my life and in my heart? Will you show me what it is? And because he wants you close, he will show you what it is so that he can draw you closer to himself. And that's my challenge to you. I don't know what it is for you. And if you don't know what it is for you, you ask God who is faithful to show you. And he'll do it. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, even when it frequently, honestly gets right up in our face and challenges us when we're being honest with it. God, help us to be honest and truthful. God, help us not to, but we see this just in ourselves, that we don't, by and large, we don't get up thinking of ways that we can try to to turn away from you, thinking of means that we can use to interrupt our pure and holy relationship with you, our worship of you, our praise of you, our obedience to you, our service for you, But it still happens. We sort of accidentally trespass. Sometimes with very good intentions. But we let things sneak in that, strictly speaking, are not commanded by your word. They're not part of what your word teaches us is is part of a, 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 a relationship that every believer ought to have with Jesus Christ. There are other things that we sort of mix into that bowl. Help us to get those things out so that our following of you is pure. As the Bible so often talks about leaven, yeast in a lump of dough. It spreads throughout the whole lump. God, help us get rid of that yeast, that symbol for something that will just affect everything else. Help us to remove that from our walk, our faith as we follow Jesus Christ. And God, if there's anyone here who hasn't yet put their personal trust in Jesus Christ, we lift them up to you. Even as we are all striving to grow and to mature, as there are some who maybe haven't even taken that first step into a relationship with you, that they would recognize that you've invited them with open arms, you've made the way for them to come to you, Through Jesus Christ, who came, took the punishment for our sin, was put in the grave and then rose from the dead and is alive today as our Lord, as our Savior. He stands ready. The work's already been done. He stands ready to offer that same salvation to any who would believe in him, just by faith. And so, Father, we pray that you draw those to you who don't yet have that relationship. And for those of us who do, challenge us and convict us that we would be closer to you in the end. And we pray all of this in Christ's name.